Well, welcome to this 21 days of prayer, fasting, and studying the Word of God. And the focus of this series will be on exercising your faith. And these teachings that I'll be giving, one every day for 21 days, are designed to produce faith in your hearts under the whole theme of I believe and therefore I spoke. Faith always results in speaking out the promises in order for them to come into your life. And so I'd like you to have a great expectation of good things to come, no matter your circumstances, no matter the things you're facing in life right now. You know, faith, faith changes the facts. Faith supersedes the facts. And I ask you as uh, somebody who's viewing also to invite others to follow this series. Um, and if you could like this broadcast, that will help us to get it out to other families. So please do call others, ask them to tune in and watch with you. And above all, put into practice what you hear and learn today. Remember, if you believe, you must speak. And when you speak, that will bring the promises of God into your life. So if you're sick, I believe you're gonna be healed. If you're facing a giant, I believe that giant will fall. If you're in need of a breakthrough or a miracle, I believe that will manifest for you through this series of teachings. God bless you. Today I'd like to talk to you about removing the veil and seeing clearly. You see, it's necessary to remove the veil of the law in order to see clearly the inheritance that God has for you in Christ Jesus. The problem that many of us have is that we think with the natural mind, and the natural mind really falls in line with the law, which then thinks that we can only receive according to what we deserve. And I believe that what I'm about to share is perhaps the most important theological and prophetic message of our times. Because you'll see that only when we leave behind the law and we focus in on the grace that comes through Christ Jesus, that's when the power of God and the glory of God become manifest in our lives. And that comes through revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for us. As I said, if you constantly think about the law, then actually you'll come away condemned. But if you think about Christ, you'll come away justified. Somebody who's condemned really can't do great things for God, can't pray great prayers for God, because they constantly look at themselves and see their faults and their failures. And it's a way that actually Satan uses to hold believers back and hold churches back from experiencing the fullness of God. But when we turn to grace and we turn to Christ, we see that the, all the condemnation has been removed. Hallelujah. And that actually we receive not based on our good works, not based on our own merit, but based on His goodness and upon His merit. And it's that mentality that ushers in the kingdom of God and the blessings of God and the presence of God. You see, many people say that we need to have revival or we need more commitment from uh, believers or we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit and I agree however uh, as you'll see today all these things are a result of the other issue this issue that I'm going to speak about okay uh, if you get this right 
then and remove the veil of the law from your eyes, then everything else will be ushered in as a consequence. So ultimately, God moves in accordance to his son being glorified. Hallelujah. Okay. And when his son is glorified, uh, when you look to him, that's when the Holy Spirit gets involved because he came to glorify the work of Jesus. And the son is only glorified when you remove the veil of the law from your thinking. When you look only to Christ and to the grace that comes through Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, each time we minister the word of the new covenant, the veil of the law is removed from our hearts. See, all darkness is dispelled and all mental blocks disappear. I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 through 8. And Paul writes these words, Who also hath made us able minister of the New Testament, or the New Covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraved in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away or fade away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious or more glorious? Hallelujah. You see, really what Paul is writing here is that we are not ministers of the old covenant, but we are ministers of the new covenant, that God has made us capable uh, or sufficient, divinely empowering us, opening our eyes to be ministers of a new covenant, not the old. The old has passed away. There's a new covenant. And he explains that the old was based on the letter. The word letter there in Greek is grammar. Okay, we get the word grammatical and so forth from that letter. But literally, it means a promissory note or a note of debt. So the Old Testament, the law, shows us that we're in debt to God, that he has high standards that we have broken. So each human being is indebted and therefore condemned. Okay, And that's why this covenant, the Old Covenant, the law, always produces death. It's a ministry of death. It's being written in and engraved on stones okay but just as the old covenant or the letter or the law produced death so the new covenant produces life it's the message of grace that produces life whereas the message of the law produces death it's not that the law is wrong in itself in fact the law is good the scripture says it shows the goodness of god it shows the holiness of god but it also reveals how far short man has fallen. So it produces death in us. But what the law couldn't do, grace has done. Because grace pays the debt. Actually, grace even leaves a credit because where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. Hallelujah. It resolves the sin problem. Amen. Now, the issue is, though, that lots of ministers are still under the old covenant, preaching the law rather than grace, and therefore preaching condemnation which leads to death rather than grace uh, that leads to life. The Spirit of God is with the grace message. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit anoints and imparts life through revealing Christ. 
Hallelujah. And him alone and all of his great work for us on the cross. Amen. Now, Paul said here clearly that the Lord was the ministry of death set in stone or written in stone. And sometimes people object and they say that, look, we're not under the law in the sense that we're not under the sacrifice laws, the animal sacrifices. And they say that, however, we are still under the moral law, okay, or the Ten Commandments. But the truth is that the moral law was the only one, the only of these laws that was engraved in stone. So Paul is talking about that actual law. Anim the animal sacrifice laws, the rituals, the ordinances, the judgments were never etched on stones. They were actually written on scrolls. And so we're talking about not preaching the law, okay? We are now ministers of the new covenant. So we need to stop ministering the law and start ministering grace. It's the grace message that will bring the life of God to people, literally. And that's what revival is, the life of God invading people's hearts and minds and lives. The law produces death, but the message of grace in Christ produces life. Amen. And so we believe that the revival, the great end time prophesied revival will take place okay why because of the preaching of the law of removing excuse me preaching of grace removing the law from our message and by doing so this greater glory will be revealed okay and as you'll see there are two levels of glory there was a glory under the law but there's a glory that far surpasses it under grace under the, under what Christ did when we announce what Christ has done rather than what we need to do so most preaching these days emphasizes what man needs needs to do you need to do this you need to do that to to see God come and move in your life you need to do this but actually whilst there's a level of glory on that and I'll show you how it works there is much greater glory released when you don't point your finger and say this is what you need to do or this is what you shouldn't do uh, but when you actually preach, this is what Christ has done. Hallelujah. Amen. And people hear that and faith comes alive in their heart. And because of that, the outpouring of the Spirit becomes a reality in their lives. Amen. And so this is a shifting theologically. It's a shifting in preaching, a shifting in teaching. In a sense, our preaching of the law mixed with grace has given the church a level of glory. And we've seen a certain level of results. But we haven't seen anything yet, my friend. The glory that's about to come is so much greater. The outpouring that will be released when we get the message right is so much more glorious. Hallelujah. In fact, the image that I like to use is that there is a certain amount of glory in seeing the moon shining at night. As you know, the moon only reflects light, has no light in itself. Um, but when the sun rises, the moon disappears. Why? It's eclipsed by the sun. There's so much more glory in the sun than the moon that you no longer see the moon. And so too with Christ coming. That's how it is. The law has passed away. It's the old covenant. It really only pointed to the sun. It had no glory in itself. It just pointed to Christ. But now that Christ has come, what on earth are we doing still looking at the moon? 
What on earth are we doing still preaching the law? We need to preach Christ. We need to preach the glory of the cross, Christ and Him crucified. As the purity of our message comes out, so the intensity of the move of God will come. Hallelujah. And so I believe we haven't seen anything yet uh, amen, in comparison to about what we're about to see. All these things like the outpouring of the Spirit, revival, the glorious church, are the result of actually getting the message right. But let's just have a quick think together because under the law there was a certain level of glory, some glory, okay? God didn't say that there was no glory in the Old Testament. He actually said there was because even Moses' face shone. However, his face didn't shine under the law in itself. If you remember, when God gave the law to Moses, he gave it to him twice in Exodus 20. The first time, his face didn't shine, okay? And he came down from the mountain, and if you remember, he heard the sound of the people and they had built themselves a, a golden calf that they were worshipping. And so what he did was he took the two tablets of the law, he didn't bring them down into the camp, but actually, he smashed them right there and then. I believe if he had brought them into the camp, all the people would have died. Why? Because they'd broken the first of the laws, the first commandment, which was not to worship any other god. Okay? So they would have, by breaking that law, they would have brought the curse of the law or death upon themselves. So God in his mercy didn't even allow, in a sense, the law to touch them yet. Moses broke the tablets and then God told him that he should go back up the mountain again and receive the law a second time. However, this time was to be different. This time God revealed himself to Moses and during his 40 days up there, he spoke to him about his goodness and grace and showed him his grace. Now I'm going to read to you from Exodus chapter 33, which is this account here and point out a couple of things to you that clarify this and this is what Moses said in verse 18 he said I beseech thee show me thy glory and then God replies and says I will make all my goodness pass before thee I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So God here is introducing the grace theme. Hallelujah. He hadn't done that before. Okay. So he starts speaking to him about grace. And then when Moses says to him, please show me your glory, God responds to him, I'll show you my grace. You see, here's the principle. The glory of the Lord is linked to the grace of the Lord. Okay. The more grace you see, the more glory will manifest. Hallelujah. And so God said to him, look, I'm going to get my uh, goodness to pass before you. And this means that the glory of God is in his goodness. When you, when you see this, you, you get to know that the grace of God, or the more you get to know the grace of God, the more you involve yourself in the glory of God. Okay, so the glory of God is in His grace. In a sense, the more grace you preach, the more grace you understand, the more glory of the Lord shall be revealed. See, after that, if you remember the story, the Lord placed Moses in a cleft in the rock so that he could only see him from behind. 
See, that was the limit of the glory you could receive under the old covenant. He just had a glimpse, okay? God put him in the cleft of the rock, and then he covered his uh, eyes with his hand. Then he walked past, and just as he got past, he removed his hand from Moses' eyes so he could just see his back, okay? He got a glimpse of God's glory. Amen. And so, in other words, he was seeing the Lord, but as through a veil, uh, in a sense, from a distance, just from behind. In verse 20, reading again from chapter 33, uh, the, the, the scripture says this, Thou canst see my face, for no man uh, will see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass when my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a, a cleft in the rock, or the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand whilst I pass by, and when, and I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Amen. You see, in the Old Testament, you could just, in a sense, see the back of the Lord. You couldn't see him clearly, okay? You could only get a glimpse. And as you saw the back of the Lord, okay, so a certain level of glory was transferred but now under the New Testament it's completely different now actually God wants to reveal us re reveal to us all of his glory and he does this by revealing to us all of his face hallelujah now in Luke chapter 8 we read that the woman with the issue of blood came up behind Jesus you remember the story okay and touched the hem of his garments he stopped he said, who touched me? The disciples said, look, lots of people are touching you. How is it that you ask? And, he, and Jesus replied, I felt virtue leaving my body. Who touched me? And so the woman came forward trembling and confessed what had happened. But you see, Jesus called her forward for a purpose. He wanted that she could see, uh, or he, let's say it both ways. He wanted to see her face, but most importantly, he wanted her to see his face okay why because jesus came to reveal the father to reveal the glory of the father he didn't want the woman just to see his back to get the miracle and go no that's kind of in a sense just the basic stuff it's one level of glory to get healed it's another level of glory to be saved to know god to see his glory amen to come into deep and intimate relationship with him See, under the Old Covenant, people saw the Lord from behind, but today we see him face to face. Hallelujah. And returning to Moses, it was only on the second time that his face shone. The first time, no. And so when he came down the mountain, actually there was a different reaction. Something changed now. And this is because uh, when he came down the mountain, uh, he was literally carrying the law, but because of what he'd seen, he'd seen God's goodness, therefore the glory was on him. So in a sense, he had a mix of glory and grace. His face was shining, but because the law was still with him, the glory was fading. It wasn't permanent, okay? It was a fading glory. But when Moses got to the bottom of the mountain, the Bible says that the people ran away from him. Even Aaron, his elder brother, who went on to be the, the high priest, Exodus 34 and 30 says that when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses uh, and they beheld the skin of, it, of his face shining, that they were afraid to come near him. Literally, they ran off. And we believe that, that literally the rays of light coming from Moses' face at the time, uh, it, it showed them that God was calling for righteousness, for holiness. But the people didn't have it. 
okay? And so because they didn't have it, Moses' face brought condemnation to them, and hence they fled. You see, when people feel condemned, they'll flee from your presence. When they looked at Moses' face, they were afraid because there was glory, there was power on his face, but that glory was the glory of the Lord, and that condemned them because of their many failures. Now, that glory still exists today, and in many places you'll find ministers that mix the preaching of the law with grace, okay? And so the law is the ministry of death. It's subtle, okay? But preachers who mix the law and grace are in effect uh, causing the glory to fade. It might be there a little bit. It doesn't last, okay? If they preach pure law rather than mixing a little bit of grace into it, actually they'd probably do their people a greater favor because sooner or later, if you're constantly preaching the law, then you'll be constantly showing people that they really, uh, that their own righteousness will never uh, be sufficient to get them into the kingdom and get them blessed. If you keep saying, look, have you lived a pure life? Have you never sinned? You should do this. Are you faithful in all your thinking and all your actions and all your work? Have you never sinned? Have you always been generous? Have you never uh, committed adultery or murdered somebody in your heart? If you constantly preach that, then ultimately the people who are hearing you are going to go, no, to be honest, there's no hope for me. But in that moment, what tends to happen is that the people who preach the law all the time will then introduce grace. And they'll say, oh, well, Jesus forgives you of these sins. And that's a wonderful moment, okay? The only problem is the following week, these preachers will go back and preach the law again. And so by doing so, they bring their people down into condemnation again. So you have these kind of Christians that are up and down the whole time. One day they feel justified, the next day they feel condemned. And to be honest, people who go through that kind of pattern always tire. In the end, they tend to drift away. They think, look, I can't keep this up. I'm a hypocrite. One minute I'm, I'm right, the next minute I'm wrong. And really what's been happening is the message being wrong, has been wrong. The preachers have been preaching the wrong thing. Hallelujah. You see... Our message is the message of the new covenant, hallelujah, that all your sins are taken away, past, present, and future, that through Christ uh, there is now no condemnation. Amen. And so these ministers who mix things, I believe they're from God, but they're out of time. They're not preaching the right thing in the right dispensation. They might win souls, but they won't keep them, and they certainly won't set these people free. And like I said earlier, people who feel condemned, they never do great things for God because just as they're starting out on a project, the devil will come up and remind them of some of their failures, some of their sins. Perhaps they argued with their wife that morning or they shouted or they lost their temper in the traffic or something worse. Okay, And so then they'll think, oh, I can't do this. I'm not sure if God is with me. And so the devil robs people by reminding them of their sins. The glory of the blood of the Lamb is that it's literally, it's annihilated, it's done away with sin. But that's not the blood under the old covenant, that's the blood under the new covenant. And so if you're constantly preaching there needs to be new sacrifices and new things need to be done in order to be justified, your people will never be truly free. But if you preach Christ and that through his work we are set free forever, hallelujah, and that people don't now need to have a sin consciousness Wow! You're going to make them champions. You're going to make them overcomers. They're going to believe to do great things for God. They're going to have great faith. The sort of faith that can throw mountains into the sea. Hallelujah! 
You see, Jesus never used the law both either to save people or to keep people following him. He didn't go around pointing his finger and saying, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Actually, when he could have used the law against the woman who committed adultery, he said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and you will sin no more. His was a grace message. And to keep people following him. Actually, he didn't try and force them to follow him with threats of hell and damnation, saying, if you don't stay faithful, you won't be saved. No, actually... When the disciples saw that many people had turned away, Jesus said to them, look, are you going to go as well? In other words, you're free to go. There's no pressure here. But Peter gave the right answer then and said, look, you have the words of eternal life. Where else is there for us to go? So they followed him willingly. That's what grace does. It gives choice. It gives freedom. Amen. It doesn't try and force and conjole. Actually, it attracts through its loving message. Amen. Now, coming back to uh, 2 Corinthians and 3, if we can go back there in the scriptures, we read in verse 12 that that seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness plainness of speech. I'm just going to change my translation here. I'm going from the old King James to the new King James, just to be uh, extra clear. So verse 12 again, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech or plainness of speech. As I said, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Okay, so I just want to pick up on two words. We use the word boldness there. Okay, we use great boldness of speech. The old King James said plainness, and that's probably a better translation because the word here really means clarity, okay? So in other words, we use great clarity or plainness in our speaking. Nothing's fudged, okay? Nothing's unclear. Uh, When you preach Christ, everything comes into clarity. It's a clear message, okay? We're not talking about hidden things or disguised things. And you see, the Old Testament, when we speak about the Old Testament, There are lots of hidden things that are like types and shadows of the new covenant, all right? So the old covenant, it's got, you know, animal sacrifices and laws and the history of Israel. But actually, in all of that, all of it is pointing to Christ, okay? So we use this plainness of speech, a clarity, saying all of that actually points to one thing. What? Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You see, as soon as you look for Jesus in the Old Testament, you'll find him, okay? The Old Testament is there just to point people to Christ. And that's the second part of this. The word end, when Paul says uh, 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 the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. The word end here means the purpose or the final purpose, okay? So, in other words, the final purpose of the law is actually simply to point people to Jesus, to show people the need of a Savior and to reveal him to them uh, in Christ Jesus. And that's why Paul in Romans 10 and 4 says, Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes. Amen. He's the end of the law. But do you believe that? Do you believe in a sense that the law has come to an end or been fulfilled? I don't think most preachers do because they still preach it. For them, the law still needs to go on. But for those who are ministers of the new covenant, we're here to show that the law has been fulfilled. It's been completed. 
Jesus fulfilled the law. Hallelujah. And so if somebody's fulfilled it, then we don't need to fulfill it anymore. You see, when you come to Christ, you're no longer under the law. That, in a sense, part of your life is done and dealt with. You no longer can be condemned. You no longer need to be reminded of your sins. You no need to look at Moses' face because Moses' face reminds you of your sin. It reflects the law. It shows you how far short you have fallen. But Christ's face reminds you of forgiveness. Hallelujah. That's what it does. It's a face of grace. And listen to me. Grace is greater than the law. So much greater as the sun is greater than the moon. Hallelujah. The law, you see, was given, the scripture says, through Moses, but grace came through Jesus. Now, Moses was a servant, but Jesus is the son. Who is greater? Wow, the disciples got that confused on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter said, you know, when he saw Moses and Elijah, he wanted to build a tabernacle for them both. But suddenly, uh, the Lord God, the Father, spoke to them and said, This is my Son, my beloved one. Listen to him. And when they saw again, uh, there was, they could only see Jesus. The others had gone. You see, Moses and Elijah, who represent the law and the prophets, don't compare to the Son. They were servants pointing to the Son. But the Son has now come. Hallelujah. It's rather like having a photograph of your wife which reminds you of your wife. Imagine that your wife is traveling, you're traveling, and you keep a photograph in your pocket. And that, you know, that points to your wife. It's wonderful to have a photograph. It's a sort of memory of your wife, an image of her, okay, a shadow of her. But when you get home and your wife is there in the flesh, you don't want to be kissing that photograph. The real thing has come. You don't need the photo anymore. You've got the reality. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's why you see in John chapter 8 and 35, the Lord said that the servant doesn't stay in the house forever, but the son does. The servant's time is over, my friend. The time of the law is over. It's now gone. It's been superseded by this time of grace. Hallelujah. By the coming of Christ. Now, Moses went up the mountain to receive glory, but Christ also went up the mountain to reveal his glory. You see, it's very different. You can see there were two mountains, okay? Moses went up Sinai and Jesus went up the Mount of Transfiguration. When Moses came down, the people fled from him, okay? Because he, his face condemned them. But when the Lord came down after his transfiguration, his face was shining like the sun. Not just his face, in fact, but his whole appearance shone. And when he came down the mountain, what did the people do? They didn't run away. In fact, Scripture says they ran towards him. Why? because of the glory. Remember what Mark 9 and 15 says. It says, immediately when the people saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. Hallelujah. You see, condemnation repels, but grace attracts. The face of Moses pushed people away, but the face of Christ attracts people. If you're preaching the law, you're going to push people away. But if you preach grace, you'll attract them to you. You'll attract them to the kingdom. Hallelujah. You see, why did sinners run towards Jesus when he came down the mountain? Because the ministry of Jesus is not the ministry of condemnation or death. No, no, no. It's the ministry of life. And let me say this, Jesus' glory is so much greater 
than Moses's glory. Hallelujah. Through Jesus's death, he glorified God. He fulfilled the law. He fully responded to all the claims of divine holiness and the righteousness uh, that was, was required on behalf of all mankind. And the Bible says that when he had purged himself, uh, when, excuse me, when he had by himself purged our sins, uh, he sat down at the right-hand side of the majesty on high. That's Hebrews 1 and 3. So literally what we're reading here is that today Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, but not seated there because he's the Son of God. He always was the Son of God. Today he sat down. Okay, why? Uh, because he had completely finished the work. Okay, all sin had been totally washed away. He sat down having done or fulfilled the purpose of his coming. He fulfilled the law. He did away with sin. He completed the work uh, from yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, he sat down like a man after a day's work when he comes home, when the job is done. Hallelujah. Now, in the Old Testament, if you remember, priests never sat down. In fact, there was no chair in the tabernacle or in the temple. Why? Because their, their work was never done. Sins were never fully paid for. They had to pay for them year after year. So they were always on their feet. There was a table in the tabernacle, but no chair. But in the kingdom, in the tabernacle on high, there's a chair. Jesus sat down. You see, under the Old Testament, sins were covered temporarily, okay? But they weren't done away with. I like to think of it rather like a credit card. If, you're, if you want to buy something, you can pay for it with a credit card. Now, it's not really a payment, okay? But actually the debt that you incur from the purchase of that thing is put off for another moment. The credit card says, look, I'll pay you later. So really that's what the old covenant was. It was, it was a, a note saying, listen, this shall be paid later. But here's the good news. Uh, it's been paid now. Christ has done the job. The debt has been paid. And so, like I said, there's so much credit now that uh, sin can never abound to the extent that exhausts the grace of God. To the contrary, the grace of God superabounds uh, from God to us because the blood of Jesus, the most precious thing in the universe, was the payment for sin. Hallelujah. See, every year the priest needed to make a new offering for sin. But Jesus offered a sacrifice that forgives our past, our present, and our future. And after doing that, he sat down and he will never rise again to remove your sin. No, no, no. When he returns to this earth, it won't be to deal with the sin problem because that's already been done. That's a done deal. It's a closed case. It's a finished work. Uh, actually, he'll come to claim then what he has purchased. Okay? Hallelujah. Now, you see, the glory in Christ's face attracts people. Just as the rays of light in Moses' face push people away. The rays of light or of glory in Christ's face, they say something different. It literally announces your sins are forgiven instead of your sins condemn you. You will uh, no, never ever again uh, need to be uh, hidden in the cleft of the rock just to catch a glimmer of God's back. Now, because of sin being completely dealt with. You can come out into to the open like that woman in the multitude. Jesus drew her out from behind him, from being hidden in the multitude. And he said, look at my face. You can look at me 
face to face. You can bask in my presence. You can behold my glory. Hallelujah. You can receive this light. And if you think about it, I want you to picture this in your imagination. It's when your face, the fullness of your face, is looking at the fullness of Christ. That's when the fullness of the glory of God is transferred to you. That's when the abundant life begins to manifest on you. If you're just catching a glimpse of Jesus here and a glimpse of Jesus there, uh, then you're only going to get a, a touch of the glory of God. So your ministry and your life will only experience a small level of grace. Hallelujah. And remembering that really it's through the Word, it's through what we're hearing and teaching that we look to Christ. It's through His Word. And so if you're hearing just the law and then a little bit of grace, then you're never really going to experience all that God has for you. You've got to hear the full message of God's forgiveness, His justification in Christ, and then the full measure of God's glory will come upon you. You see, there is a veil that blinds people to, uh, to this truth. We know that the veil applies to the Jews, but it also applies to those who live under the law. The Jews, of course, today and today, they still look to Moses rather than to Christ. They look to their laws, their many, many rituals and moral laws and sacrificial laws to be justified. Okay, So there's a veil over their eyes, but there's a veil today over all people's lives, both unbeliever and believer, who are still looking at the law. See, when people are under the law and when they read the Bible, all they can see is what they need to do. Well, I should do this and I should do that and I shouldn't do this and I should do that. They don't see Jesus. But the Bible, you see, is not a book of rules. Actually, it's a book that is like fresh heavenly bread. And that when you eat it, it brings life. Hallelujah. It's really not a book of rules, but more like a photo album of Jesus. Everything that he did. And when you see the sun in it, when you see the glory of the sun and the work of the sun in it, that's what brings life to you. Okay, that's when the veil is removed from your eyes and you begin to see your inheritance in Christ. All the blessings now that you can receive through Christ's work. You see, the veil is a covering that stops you from seeing properly. It's rather like a bride with a very thick veil uh, upon her face on her wedding day. You see, you can't see her, but two, she can't see you. So there's not a fullness of communion. It's interesting, in Genesis chapter 13, we read that the Lord had said to Abraham that he should leave his land and his family, his relatives. But Abraham decided to take Lot with him, and it proved that Lot gave him so much trouble. Okay, First of all, his, his own shepherds began to fight with Abraham's shepherds over the, the wells of water to give water to their sheep. And later, Lot decided to go down and live in Sodom. And so Abraham had to come and intercede for him to get him out of there alive. And it was really only after Abraham had separated from Lot that God said to him, lift up your eyes and look. Now, you know, the word Lot, the meaning of the Hebrew name Lot means veil. And so here we see that actually while Lot was with him, a veil was over Abraham's eyes. God didn't tell him to look up and see. He couldn't see. He was too involved in something else. He was looking, in a sense, at the wrong thing. Okay? He needed to rid that from his life in order to understand what God really had for him. And we're Abraham's seed today, and like him, we need to get rid of this veil, the veil of the law. We need to stop thinking in that direction. 
Clearly the veil points to the Lord, something that prevented Abraham from seeing clearly. However, the moment that the veil left Abraham, or Lot was removed from his life, and Abraham said, you go this way and I'll go this way, the scripture says this in Hebrew, excuse me, in Genesis 3 and 14. The scripture says, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Hallelujah. You see, you cannot see your inheritance or your children's inheritance until the veil is removed from your eyes. Until you get rid of the stinking thinking of the law. As long as, you, as long as you're looking at the Lord, you'll only experience a drop of the blessings that God has for you. God had so much for Abraham. He really wasn't moving in that yet. He hadn't really touched on all that God has. I believe it's the same for the church. We've had a level of blessing, but boy, there's so much more to come. When we go back to 2 Corinthians and 3, we see there that... Uh, 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 we see that the scripture says there's a veil here as well just as there was a veil in the Old Testament and, and verse 14 says that their minds were blinded okay their minds were blinded when they read the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ in other words when you don't see Christ you are blind when you're looking just at the law you're blind you can't see really what the inheritance, the blessings God has for you. But when you flip over to chapter 4 and verse 3, the scripture says here, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Oh, please, this is really important, dear brother. People perish because the true gospel is not being preached. Okay, If the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. They perish because we're not preaching the true gospel. We're just preaching the law. And remember, when we say perishing, we're not just talking about going to hell. We're literally talking about perishing in every area of life, from destruction, from depression, from sickness, from disease, or whatever. Financial problem. Life is going down. Why? Because we are basing our faith on the law rather than upon the grace of Christ. And so God's Spirit really can't be that involved in our lives hear what I'm saying and so you're either perishing or you're prospering as soon as you get over to grace you begin to prosper in every area of your life you see if there's a person perishing it's because the gospel is somehow being veiled that's why I believe the greatest revival is to come because we're gonna have literally a generation of grace gospel preachers and therefore from perishing people will go to prospering people will go to the fullness of life if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing because if it's not veiled, they will not perish. Hallelujah. And who's behind this? The scripture says it here. The devil is behind this issue of putting people behind a veil. And look what the scripture says in verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded whose minds the God of this age has blinded. It's veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded. Now notice here, the devil is called God with a small g, okay? Now how did the devil win this title of, let's say, little God rather than big God? Well, rolling back the story, we know in the Garden of Eden, God made Adam, okay, to be the little God because Adam was given authority over all of the earth to subdue it. See, God is the great God, 
who is Lord of, of everything, of the heavens, let's say. But he made Adam to be the Lord of the earth and to rule over it. However, when Adam committed high treason against God and was sold out to the devil's temptations, uh, the devil took Adam's title. However, don't forget, hallelujah, the last Adam, the second Adam, Jesus Christ has now come. And therefore, those who are under his lordship, the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, are no longer under the lordship of the God of this age. Hallelujah. You see, the devil is only the God of this age, the God of this realm. He's not the God of our kingdom. We're now in the kingdom of God. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, the devil's territory, into the kingdom of God's son of love. Hallelujah. So he's the God of the age, though, is still blinding people's minds. He's stopping them coming to this full inheritance that we're enjoying. And how does he do that? Well, he does it by putting a veil over their eyes. And again, what is the veil? It's the law. You see, every person has a veil over their mind. And even believers who stick to the law, they just don't see stuff. Okay? They may be professors of theology, top minds in their field, but they're not seeing what you're seeing. They're blinded. And we read again in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 that the devil is the one who blinds people's minds. He controls them, in effect, through the law. Why? Because he's the accuser. So every time you break the law and you compare yourself to the law, the devil comes along and says, look what you've done. You're not worthy. Therefore, this isn't going to happen to you. And you, looking at yourself, therefore disqualify yourself rather than looking to Christ and being qualified through what Christ has done. That's why people are perishing, because the God of this age has blinded them, okay? Lest, as the scripture says in verse 4, okay, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Think with me here a little bit. Uh, the devil is blinding people's minds. Why? Because he's afraid that the light of the gospel will shine on them. Why is he afraid of that? Because he knows that when people see the truth about grace, that they're going to be free forever, that he'll never be able to control them again. Uh, they'll be free from all accusation, all condemnation. And being free, these people will then become destroyers of the devil's work. Because just as I'm preaching to you to set you free today, they also will preach to others. And the kingdom of God will mightily advance. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. And we like to finish with an opportunity for people to give their lives to Christ. And if you've never done that before, say these words after me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. And I thank you for a new heart and a new start. Amen. And we believe that you've now been born again. And we encourage you to join a Christ-centered church in your area. God bless you. To acquire more teachings to help you grow in wisdom and grace, check out our website, thegreatmission.org, where you can order paper copies or Kindle versions of inspiring materials, such as, There's a Miracle Coming Your Way. Finally, we would also ask you to consider becoming a partner of TGM, The Great Mission. Through a network of missionary evangelists, we are holding events in Asia, Africa, and South America to get the gospel of grace in word and action to hundreds of families every month. We hold grace festivals where multitudes of needy people have received food parcels 
and being transformed by the message of God's goodness and grace. By becoming a monthly partner, you can be part of a worldwide harvest of souls. Thanks for your consideration.